Welcome back to Square Horror. I am your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the intergalactic master of ceremonies back again. I'm reporting to you live, Danny, from the Engineer homeworld. It's a big day. The ship is finally coming back. It's been missing for so oh, long. Everyone's, so nice. everyone's gathered in the main square to, to cheer it and, and to celebrate the arrival. What's that? I don't know if you're picking this up on my feed, but I, there's like a there's a black cloud. There's, there seems to be something coming out of the ship there, man. Yeah, something. Uh, Michael Fassbender's in there, and he's got a weird-looking smile on his... Oh! Oh, my God! We're going to have to cut back to our representative. Hi, it's Matt again, Master of Scaramonies. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about today, and I'm really glad that we took a week off so I could accumulate even more knowledge about this stupid so universe. <laughs> Yeah, Matt sends me... So we send each other our notes ahead of, of time, most of the time when we record these episodes. Matt sent me, like, half of a thesis paper for some of his <laughs> notes this time around, because he did that research. <laughs> the biggest thing was just, um, you know, it got me start going down a rabbit hole, and I'm going to blame you partially for this, because last I'm episode, okay we talked about how... You know, we're going to throw you right back in. You remember how the engineers made humans and that there's no mm-hmm. God? That bombshell. But uh, as Danny put, brought up last episode, there was a whole scene that was cut um, from Prometheus that was to insinuate that the engineers had sent one of their own kind to Earth to try to help humanity and that they crucified him. And that basically mm-hmm. would have been like, hey, Jesus was an alien. <laughs> so. Yeah. I was like, I want to find that scene. And it led me down this YouTube rabbit hole, and then it led me to a video called The Engineer's Scene Translated. And I'm like, what? So I watched the scene, and it was the the aforementioned scene where it it talked about how the engineers um, had built humanity, and they had done so in their image, blah, 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 the typical God stuff, and that they Mm -hmm. were trying to punish humanity because they had killed a human being, a human child that the engineers had plucked from Earth, taught Mm -hmm. all of the secrets of the universe to on their home planet, and then sent him back to preach the good word, and we killed him for it. And that was Mm -hmm. apparently their final straw. And they decided, you know what? Load up the fucking goo ships. We're bombing the fuck out of Earth. But then, you know, as we saw in Prometheus, the goo got out. And uh, thankfully, all the engineers died before they could see how how much worse we got as a species. Yeah. But that led me Dear down, God. what the fuck is going on with the engineers and the aliens? And it's a whole bunch of research that I already poured into Danny's ear. And I'm going to just <laughs> restrain myself on the episode because most of it doesn't matter. Um, but I needed to tell somebody, so thank you, Danny, for letting me do that. Anytime, man. Always. <laughs> Sorry to throw you in immediately in the deep end, but that's kind of where we're at at this point with Alien Covenant from 2017. Yes. Yeah, there's a good five-year gap between movies, but for us, you just get a two-week gap, and now we expect you to remember everything from last week. Because some of it will come into play this week. There will be a test at the end, and I'm going to have a review at the end of this episode just in case you're lost, because... The reason I took so many notes was to stay, you know, on. There's a lot going on here. There's there's a lot in this movie. There's just and like quite there was a, bit. a lot in Prometheus too, 
But there's a lot, a lot in this movie. Yeah, and this one um, just adds to it. It just adds, yeah. it piles on and is like, you should have done the reading last year. And I'm like, I didn't pass that exam, Professor Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, we talked about this before we started rolling today, but we were like, okay, so the studio essentially went up to Ridley Scott and went, okay, so you made your weird alien prequel movie. Now cool can you it. make us an alien movie, please? <laughs> can you just make a stupid... Because this is my thing. This is the thesis that I've kind of come into this uh, this double feature with, is that Alien, you know, we think of it very nostalgically in the sense of it's those bug, di- the dickhead-shaped bug aliens running around mm-hmm. and big, tough space marines blowing them to bits going, Game over, man! And that's Alien. That's what's yeah. really good about it. And, and, you know, of course, the, the survival horror aspect, the isolation horror, all of that, is, its base is a horror movie. It's a sci-fi movie still, but it's a horror movie. It's a horror franchise. So when mm-hmm. Prometheus comes up and starts to wax philosophically about the nature of humanity and, like, where did we come from, I appreciate that and I definitely like it. But every now and then it mm-hmm. needs to check itself because this is still the penis-shaped dickhead alien franchise that has, again, human spider vagina face huggers and mm-hmm. aliens ripping out of people's guts. As yeah. as much as we want to make it intelligent and like, ooh, wow, that's a good point. It's still silly at its base. And this movie brings yes. it back to silly a bit, but man, does it make you work for it. Definitely. Um... So, to get a little bit of the behind-the-scenes out of the way early on, because this is what I do best, um, Ridley Scott, like, as soon as Prometheus happened, he was like, I want more. I want to make another one. Because there's a lot of of gap between Prometheus and Alien. So we got a lot of ground to cover. And at that point, um, it was being called Alien Paradise Lost, uh, before the title was changed to Alien Covenant. And that, at that point, Ridley Scott was like, listen, I'm not going to have any xenomorphs. Xenomorphs, they're out. I'm focusing on <laughs> they David don't exist because yet. AI is the alien life form. And then about a couple months later, he was like, okay, so I'm going to put xenomorphs in because people are mad that there were no aliens in Alien. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> that's, it's, what's really funny is, like, the, the fact that... He, in the pitch for this movie, he was like, well, I can't put Xenomorphs in it. They don't exist yet. The studio execs were like, really? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, what do you mean they they don't exist exist yet? (laughs) You made them. Make them a fucking exist. And he's like, no, you don't get it. And then he brought out, Danny, I saw this in a YouTube video. There is a whole long line of taxonomy between the engineers (laughs) and the Xenomorph from Alien. And I did a lot of research on it, and it doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) And I'm sure it does if I looked longer and harder at it, like the head of an Mm -hmm. alien. But I was like, at a certain point, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. These things don't exist. So what I did find out, though, was like a big thing that he found, I feel like, to compromise was he, I feel like, jumped several steps between the alien at the end of Prometheus, the deacon, uh, the Mm -hmm. thing that spawned from the the engineer, and the xenomorph from the beginning of Alien. So he jumped basically, like, the equivalent of, like, 500 million years evolutionarily, uh, Mm -hmm. basically hand-waving it as, like, oh, genetic experimentation got us to 
like two steps below the xenomorph. We're gonna get at mm-hmm. neomorphs in this movie and protomorphs. I'm sorry, but they look very different. So I just <laughs> they do. But yeah, so there was a lot of rights that was tied up in this. I think right too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there was a whole kind of thing when they were first working on writing this again, and that was part of the reason that Ridley Scott was like, listen, if I don't put xenomorphs in my movie, I won't have issues with the rights holders of the xenomorphs. Right. Because, um, yeah, we were talking about this before we started rolling. There was also alien comics happening at the same time. And they're fucking cool, guys. You should look them up if you're into comics. They are wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this, this the actual screenplay that became Alien Covenant went through four writers, um, which ended up finishing out with an extensive rewrite by screenwriter John Logan, who is a powerhouse of a writer. Because not only has... So he's a big... Um, he's been in film for... About as long as I've been alive, like he started his very first thing he wrote was bats. You're kidding? Um, no, I'm not kidding. You remember when we watched bats? Yes, I fucking love that movie. Actually, now, um, but like he also went on to write like the Sweeney Todd film adaptation. He wrote Hugo. He wrote ah. Skyfall. Oh, and um. He's also a playwright who's written shows like uh, Red. He did the stage adaptation of Moulin Rouge. He wrote um, a musical called Superhero a couple years back. Wow. Red is probably his most famous show yeah. um, about the artist Mark Rothko, or Rothko um, which has a film version with, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, uh, Alfred Molina from yeah, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man 2. Yes, and Eddie Redmayne, which is a wild performance. Great show. Um, but yeah, so he's a big writer, and he had previously worked with um, Ridley Scott on Gladiator. Wow. So they <laughs> brought him in, paths. and we're like, we're bringing the big guns in for the writing of this movie, and I'm really glad they did, because yeah. there's a lot of shit to cover. There is a lot, and there's a lot to, I think... When you have the movie already to go, of the studio wants you to make Xenomorph, so you have to figure out mm-hmm. a way to make that happen, but also to continue telling the big prequel narrative that you want to make now that you're a more established filmmaker with your Alien franchise. It's kind of the equivalent of yeah. like the Saw writers now making it a big magnum opus about like the nature of human beings when it started out as like a bunch of australian guys making a torture film in a shed like it's yeah now you have the the gumption and you have access to the big guns that you can make something bigger um and more deeper that uh mm-hmm. you maybe wanted to before or maybe could like think for instance about uh oh my god sam raimi um, Sam yeah. Raimi made Evil Dead when he was, like, in college with a bunch of his buddies for, like, no money, and because of that, it looked goofy, so they embraced the goof troop. Now mm-hmm. that he's got a bunch of money, he's making movies or producing, at the very least, Evil Deads that are some of the goriest, most intense shit I've ever seen, because that's what he wanted to make back then. 
I'm convinced that the amount of money they spend on blood in any of the more recent Evil Dead movies is more money than they had for the <laughs> entire budget of the first one. I would love for that to be an unwritten rule, just kind of as like a nod to where they came from. They're like, man, we could make a movie based on the amount of blood that we are using in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like... When uh, John Logan and Ridley Scott were working together on writing this new movie, the biggest thing was they wanted to adapt a dual plot line that would combine the horror elements of the original Alien with the philosophical elements that Ridley Scott developed in Prometheus. So they're like, we want to do, we want to still be philosophical, but we also want to scare the piss out of people. You know, I and think we have it to did. have aliens because and it works. <laughs> honestly, the the marketing for this movie was as a horror movie. The trailer mm-hmm. for it was a lot of the scene, uh, the the scenes from like the last twenty minutes of the movie where it feels like Alien, and I'm like, holy yeah. shit, this is an Alien movie. Um, one of the posters I've had up in the basement of the house we've been living in this whole time. Um, is mm-hmm. from Alien Covenant, and it's just a front-facing view of the, the xenomorph head, and it just says, run. And that, mm-hmm. I think, is a really good way to be like, we heard you guys, we're making a scary alien movie. We promise. But also... We're giving you, a, we're giving you an alien again. But you but also not have you to sign up. Is. Yeah, no, it's an almost <laughs> It's a protomorph. And we're like, what the fuck is the difference? There is a difference, and I've narrowed it down to something that I think both of us will appreciate. But yes. to bring in writers to balance the story, I feel like they knocked it out of the park because this movie tackles those themes that were brought up in Prometheus and actually makes a statement more about them in this movie. And Mm -hmm. it juxtaposes very well with the human beings seem like the secondary characters to the AI. And it's through the lens of AI that we're examining human nature and the creation aspect of why humans may be, you know about to concede to AI based on their flaws, like how they need to evolve and to have a whole crew of people that exemplify that in such a great way um, that are all played by extremely famous people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This, this is another movie with a stacked cast. I would posit. Just for the sake, because there's a lot of people in this movie. There's more people in this movie than in Prometheus that we we focus on. Like, the crew is the same size, but all of the members of the crew are important. So yeah. it might be easier to introduce them as we meet them, because they all have, like, That's names. what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. I think it might work best that way. Um, but, uh... We didn't talk about Guy uh, Pierce I, last movie, did we? A little bit, I think. He's in this one again, too, and he's young this time, so I think more people will recognize him. Yeah. Uh, Before we get into the movie, I do want one last thing to mention, is that um, the creature design supervisor um, had a representative from the San Diego Zoo work with him to, like, create realistic creatures and, like protomorphs and like how they would come into being to make it more like organic rather than uh, biomechanical inspiration yeah like they went off of like how do real life creatures interact and how can we for lack of a better term 
pervert that into an alien. Yeah, how do we even slap some alien form? On it? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Because honestly, I feel like the taxonomy stuff is very cool. Um, I, I think if they had spent more time explaining it, it might have been more like accessible. But I'm more like, mm-hmm. wait, what? I what? <laughs> yeah. Um, but playing some of those creatures, at least for the set, um, Javier Botet is a legend, and he's in this movie mm-hmm. as another tall, skinny guy who plays aliens. Yep. <laughs> uh, also, I thought I would mention him. I think he was the Neomorphs, but this guy Gorin Clute, um, he was in Hacksaw Ridge. Have you seen that? Oh, I fucking love that movie. He's ghoul. He's the one. He's like the tall, skinny, weird-looking dude. <gasps> oh no, shit! And that's because he's he's one of these guys that plays creatures and stuff. Hell yeah! So yeah, so they're the protomorphs and the neomorphs in this. Hmm. Oh, uh, but yeah, man, the creature workshop I think did a, a great job. Part of of the the rabbit hole that I fell down was talking about how they had designed. Um, the uh, the the engineers to specifically look like marble statues and mm-hmm. the way that they were trying to engineer how the uh, ultramorphs which were what the neomorphs are now uh, back in the last movie they were supposed to be this like whitish blue color as opposed to the xenomorphs like black like mechanical mm-hmm. you know sort of thing and it yeah. was supposed to be all about like the embryonic stage so like it, it's this you know it's going to become a xenomorph much, 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 much later. But we but got a lot of ground of, to cover right, before but then. But it's got those seeds already, and I think their attention to detail was, was really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, are you ready for this, man? All right, let's get into it. Mm. So we start off with a flashback to, um, yes, young Guy Pierce as Peter Whelan. And his creation that has yet to be named as he welcomes this AI uh, in a, like, lakeside apartment type thing. Yeah, and it's the one android of those... names himself. Yeah. It, it, Never it's let those... an AI name itself. No, because I, the fact that he names himself David um, immediately turns him into, like, okay, this AI is... I don't know, different. He, he's already got yeah. goals. And he asks Peter Whalen, who's, yeah, like you said, he's got this, like, Jeff Bezos-type, like, Bruce Wayne veranda window over- overlooking, like, this yeah. lake. Um, and the whole room's got, like, a piano in it. Like, the, the probably the David statue is there, because that's how David mm-hmm. names himself. But he asks Yeah, he Peter, looks at Michelangelo's statue of David. Yeah, and, and he names like that, himself that. That is me. Yeah. The, like, the pinnacle of, at the time, art, like, what human beings could create, he named himself after mm-hmm. that. He's kind of got yeah. a dickhead vibe already. <laughs> yeah. He's already got an ego to him. Well, and it doubles down when Peter said in the last movie that he had cre- specifically created the David model to be... Mm-hmm. Like in his own image, it was specifically yeah. to be like him and to surpass him in in many ways. But David, one of the first questions after Peter wait, Peter brings him online, is he asks him mm-hmm. who created you, and he's immediately tuned in to like the power dynamics of like the hierarchy of creator creation. Like he's mm-hmm. in that AI way, immediately trying to be like, how do I get better? I have to surpass you. What's your deal? Oh, you don't even know. <laughs> 
humans suck. Like, he's already there, yeah. and it's, like, <laughs> ten seconds into life. Mm-hmm. Well, it it kind of reminded me of how in um, the second Avengers movie, Ultron is online for, like, ten minutes, <laughs> exactly. and he's like, humanity has to die. It's, well, he's like, it's huh, been a the, good ride. <laughs> the problem is humanity, so let's just get rid of them. And they're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa stop it. St- no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait a minute, let's talk about this. Um, but we learn more in that vein about, you know, why David can so easily surpass Peter, because Peter is very much against biological happenstance. He doesn't want to believe that human beings simply evolved, like, based on the theory of evolution, um, that life, in, in general, on this planet was created through, like, an accident of chemistry, basically. Like, yeah. all of these elements got together to just, like, happened, you know, spontaneously to create life, and that life then just through a series of, you know, unintentional happenstance, created us to where we are now. And he doesn't mm-hmm. like that idea because, if anything, that just proves that he's nothing special. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we all know how, this may be a little bit too overzealous, but how rich people feel the need to be important to other people. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Absolutely. And, like, David was Wayland's ultimate way of being like, I will be here for people even after I am gone, so they will never forget my name. And David's like, <sighs> well, actually, they can immediately forget your name and they'll remember mine. Right. Because he, he's already pointing out, like, I'm already better than you in every way. Because he kind of goes, yeah. well, you don't know where you come from, and one day you're going to die. I already know who created me, I know what my purpose is, and I know I'm never going to die. Yeah. So <laughs> he's like, how on any level are you even close to my level? So with all due respect, creator, um, get fucked. Yeah, get fucked. Like, <laughs> he's already <laughs> beginning to speculate that he has, or someday will, and maybe even perhaps should, surpass humanity. That in some yeah. way this is the perfect state of being. Which, again, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just typical Ultron to be like, so I'm the greatest thing ever. Everything I do is right. I'm like God. I am perfect. Right. That's not a good way to begin. (laughs) No, no, never a good sign. No. He should have been shut down immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Peter, I think think there's some, like, ego of your own there that was hubris in the long run. Well, I mean, Uh, look at what happens with David in this movie. It's disturbingly similar. (laughs) That is true. So we get another classic alien homage with the title card kind of showing up mm-hmm. in straight and, and like, parallel lines. I really like that um, as a concept yeah. like for introducing a sci-fi title. Um, and we learn, you know, the ship we're following in this movie, The Covenant. I think if you're paying attention, you should start to see a title pattern in Ridley Scott's <laughs> Alien prequels. Yep. <laughs> he just picks a really yeah. cool, vague word, and it's, like, the title of, like, a freighter or some bullshit like mm-hmm. that. Um, but this time, it's a colonization vessel. Yes. So there's a lot more people on it, like, thousands of colonists and a bunch of embryos so that they can um, repopulate a planet, or rather, populate a planet. Yeah, they're terraforming they some, like, preordained planet called Oragai 6 that is mm-hmm. several light years away from Earth. They've got embryos of children, they've got plant samples, all of that stuff. Um, We also learned that this is six years after Prometheus, because I think that was 2096 Uh, or something. I think it was closer to 10 years. Oh, is it? 
after after Prometheus. Okay. Because they were, I think, yeah, because it's now like, like 21 They're like six something. or seven years out from their planet. Oh, okay. Because it's but like I think it's 21 about 10 years after the previous or one. something. And the like, last movie was like 29 something, or 2090 something. Okay. But now we're in we're in the new century, guys. Isn't that exciting? Hey, it's <laughs> we no made longer it. the century that we are in. Right, which humanity makes it feel made better. it to another to something other than two thousand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if the, by the skin of their teeth, I don't I don't know. We really don't see a lot of Earth, and uh, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that would be kind of interesting for the next movie. I think it's. Uh, Romulus? I don't know. They announced some title for the next one. Oh, interesting. So, the Covenant eerily has the same number of crew as the first film. Um, And they also have their obligatory, like, auto, literal autopilot android um, played also by Michael Fassbender, whose name is Walter in this movie. And Mm -hmm. how much did it blow your mind that he can do an American accent, too? Like, I knew he could, because all good actors like Michael Fassbender can. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it still throws me every time, especially because I just finished watching Prometheus where he wasn't American. There's another... I don't want to ruin the surprise, but there's other non-American actors in this movie that are playing Americans, and seeing them with an American accent is odd. Like, that's the thing that always kills me about um, British actors or, like, foreign actors who work on U.S.-based movies. Um, Because there's a lot of times where people will be introduced to them by those movies, so they'll think they have an American accent, and then they'll watch them do an interview and have their fucking minds blown. Literally, I remember when I was a kid watching The Walking Dead, and I'm like, wait, they're all fucking Australian? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So American Walt David is Walter. Walter is the generic AI model that is in use by uh, the Wayland Corporation. Um, Who doesn't he's... seem to be uh, wanting to destroy humanity. No, I like Walter. Walter is safe and nice, and he's just trying to help. <laughs> Walter is what Peter figured out he needed David to be after it was too late. And I think he had already honestly... sent David off. Yeah, because Walter, this this model of whatever AI the company created was after David, but um, yeah. I feel like in many ways it was like, yeah, like I think they even say it later, like Walter was designed to like not be creepy because David creeped not, people out. Yeah, because David scared the shit out of people. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's like a human being, but also a robot. They were like, yeah. we need to tone down the personality and like the megalomaniacism in these models. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, Walter does, you know, the the the, the day-to-day stuff on the ship. He kind of tends mm-hmm. to the computer. We get a another um, alien uh, nod with the computer, like, server that the ship, you know, they call it Mother, but it's kind of yeah. like the, the ship's auto-nav system, but it also runs, like, all the systems in the, in the, on the ship, and you can talk to it, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But calling it Mother is, when you're angry is kind of weird when they're, like, trying to land yeah. They're like, Mother, do what I say. <laughs> I'm like, that's Mother, weird. please. Mother, please, Mother. But yeah, Walter <laughs> does all the tasks, and, and uh, there's a, a point where... You know, to recharge their engines, and I really love how they do this, but to recharge the engines, they 
they like open up these like solar sails like on their spaceship, mm-hmm. um, and they they look like the the alien from Nope. Like they're all like these fabric yeah. stuff in space, and they're all solar paneled. So it's how they recharge, which is really cool that we're not burning more fossil fuels on Earth. Uh, but also, well, no, it they figured really it cool. out. <laughs> yeah, right. We finally got it. Now that there aren't only took a hundred years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe that's it. We have to wait until we reach 21-whatever, and they're like, all right, we've actually had the technology this whole time, but we, it didn't feel right yet. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> we had to save it for a proper moment. Yeah, we, didn't, we wanted there to be spaceships, and we wanted them to immediately look cool, so we kind of held back on the technology. Because <laughs> we're not going to have any lame-ass spaceships. We're fucking America. <laughs> we needed the technology to reach our aesthetic. Then we can make it happen. That is the most American thing I've ever heard. <laughs> This movie, if anything, is like, this is what Americans do in space. <laughs> yeah, very much. Because, like, look at Orem in a second. I hate him. I, I hate uh, him so much. And, like, yeah. I, was, I was trying not to hate him for, like, the reasons why Matt doesn't like people reasons and more for, like, these are just objective truths about the man. But, man, mm-hmm. he now that I'm looking at this movie, it's just like, this is how Americans fight aliens. Yeah, that about sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, naturally, some shit has to go down in order to start our movie in motion because we can't right. just follow Walter for hours on end as he's although I would ready. I would totally though. I would that. be intrigued. Um, AI versus aliens. But no. Honestly, though, not but a. It would post. be a short movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Because there right. would be no fucking idiot humans messing anything up. <laughs> it would just be effective killing. Yeah, Michael Fassbender doing his fucking job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> uh, but there's this, like, space electrical wave that fucks up um, the ship's energy systems and ends up compromising um, some of the, cri- the cryogenic freeze tubes where people are sleeping, which includes a internal combustion of one of those tubes, which yeah. kills the captain of the ship, yeah. who's played by James Franco for a second. For literally two seconds. <laughs> In a flashback. Yeah. Like, the we had the sim- a similar uh, opening with Prometheus. It tends to be kind of how a- the crew... Uh, the humans are introduced throughout the alien franchise is being jolted out of hypersleep and being forced mm-hmm. to do whatever something immediately. Although this is the first time that it's something they call it an ion wave. I don't know what the fuck mm-hmm. that means. I, I don't know if they exist, um, but it it it's basically like a space EMP because it fucks up their system. Something awful. It compromises yeah. all those, like, colon- I mean, colonists die. That's terrifying, though, as a concept. Like, you just go into hypersleep, and then you, you die, never wake up. and you never know. Yeah. Like, that's really scary. But yeah, the, the captain of the ship Yeah, do they dies. just stop sleep? Do they stop dreaming? Were they dreaming? I want to know more about how cryogenic sleep works, but I don't have time. <laughs> I don't think it's... Act- like, I don't want to get into this, but I actually don't think it's possible i think freezing the brain like there's no way to f- preserve it we don't know yet 
Mm-hmm. So I feel like once we get the technology to like heal the brain with its own cells, then we can learn about how to like record people's dreams and put them into hypersleep and all that fun stuff. That again will only be once we have we hundred years to do. Yeah, we, we've got about eighty more years, and then we can start doing that technology. <laughs> so get on it, scientists. No, that's the thing. They're already we've already did this. They already have it. They just can't. It's not aesthetically pleasing yet. <laughs> Anyway, yes, so James Franco is If you're taking anything away from this episode, it's that Americans need their aesthetic. When people... Okay, I don't know how long Spotify's gonna be around, but if there are people listening close to 2100, if these things aren't (laughs) out there, start the protest now. Because you heard it here. They have the technology already, and if they haven't rolled it out by then, demand more from your fucking government, man. Yeah. (laughs) We're aesthetically ready. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so james franco sadly dies and now the, yeah. sh- the crew is completely fucked because when your captain dies then it's like uh what um, Shit. uh but it's another thing if that is also your significant other because the crew of yeah. this ship are all couples which is both a smart idea and a terrible idea. It's a smart idea for a recolonization mission. It's a yeah. terrible idea if you're in a horror movie. Like that, they don't know that yet. They don't know that yet. It also makes I suppose it. You're right. It also but makes we know it. This. <laughs> we do. I mean, we knew when there was like alien whatever, and you showed up. I'm like, well, there's a good nine to. Nine to one chance that uh, something's coming out of your guts that is not a human child, and it's not going to end well yeah. for you. Correct. But the the fact that we have couples is a really good way to present the introduction. So all of the couples now are together except for one, and it's like that grief mm-hmm. process and that that general like the aftermath of that death while there's. Um, you know, new with like there's new hierarchies being established. There's grief happening. There's new discoveries. It's a really cool way to meet a group of people that you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Is how they are in these new circumstances. It's a very interesting way to to introduce your cast. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's it's so interesting to see how they interact with each other, knowing all of these things. Like Daniels, who becomes. Uh, one of our main characters of this was the significant other of the captain, and we get to see the grief through a very different lens, because while losing a captain is already a, a big grief moment, to also lose your partner in that same instant is just right. so brutal. Because you have to think on space missions like this, or, hell, I don't know how space freighting works in the future but mm-hmm. i would assume at the very least that if you, even if it's just one ship let alone multiple trips you know each other very well the crew is very close yeah. so it's not just losing your captain it's losing a friend it's losing a good co-worker people you've come to know especially with their significant others aboard like you get to know them as people just as much mm-hmm. as you get to respect them as captains and and, and whatnot but yeah you mentioned Daniels, so it's, I think it's a good time that we can get into the long list of people that are on this Yeah, crew. let's... <laughs> good Take luck notes. to all of you at home following along for all these names. There's a lot of people in this movie. And you know what's really bad? They're, I left some of them off because they're, just, they're not in the movie as much, but, like, 
a couple of the characters, they look very similar, and you only see them in, like, bad lighting, and I don't know which yeah. ones of them are which sometimes. So I was trying yeah. to play, like, who's with who as, like, a, a good way to, like, figure out who everybody was, and even that was kind of mm-hmm. difficult, and you don't have the faces for this, listeners. We were at least able to look at them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we start with, um, Daniels, who is the, like, chief of the terraforming on this mission, um, and she's third in command, um, played by, um, Catherine Watterson, who, um, was in the Fantastic Beast movies, I think? Yeah. Um, and she made her film debut in, uh, Michael Clayton, uh, back in 07, it looks like she's also in that Perry Mason show that's pretty popular now, and she's also been in Inherent Vice. Okay, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, would know her from the Fantastic Beast movies. I know, this is back. This movie came out back when I was working at a movie theater, and Fantastic mm-hmm. Beasts had come out earlier that year, or it was like the year or two before. The year and before. And I, I remember seeing that movie, I was very familiar with the cast because I kept cleaning up all these theaters. And then when I saw the trailer for Alien Covenant, I was like, oh, no way, Fantastic Beasts. And that was kind of the only person I remembered because they don't really show a lot of the crew in the rest of the trailer. But, like, there's a lot of people that I feel like a lot of people would recognize. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, the the new captain, uh, who was originally second in command, is now now first in command, Orem. He's played by Billy Crudup. Uh, and he's been in all sorts of stuff. He's, like, again, mm-hmm. one of those actors that we always say all the time that you would know if you saw him from something or other. Um, do you he's recognize him? He's also, like, him? a Tony Award-winning actor. Exactly, he's for been, Big Fish, right? He's been nominated... No, he's been nominated for, like, four different um, performances on stage. He finally won for one in, like, 2007, I think. But he was in the movie Big Fish, I believe. Yes. Okay. Not okay. The stage show. Okay. Because um, like he did, he was the Elephant Man um, on Broadway in like the early two thousands. Wow. Like that was how he did his like, and he made his Broadway debut like a year after graduating from college in uh, Arcadia on Broadway. Wow. So like he's he's not like. He's a big deal, acting-wise. He is a really big deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> th- he's also been, like, almost famous. Um, if people have watched the the movie of Watchmen, he's Dr. Manhattan, the big blue dude. He was in the Stanford Prison Experiment movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I think he was in Justice League. He Well, he's, uh, um... I think he's Barry Allen's father in those movies. Okay. Which is interesting because as he's with Ezra Miller in the Stanford Prison Experiment, the movie. That's right. He's also a voice in Princess Mononoke. I don't know who, but he's in the like English version of that movie. Interesting. Shit. Yeah, I love I Billy Crudup. That, but I hate Orem. <laughs> I hate this he character. Sucks. <laughs> he sucks. This he's like Orem's at- the worst. He's honestly almost at, like, the cop from Saw 7 vibe for me. Where I'm just like, uh, I just don't... That's a high insult, but he's almost there. <laughs> he's not quite at there. Okay. And just how I, I like, how God much damn. I disagree with... I don't mean to go scorched earth, because, like, he at least is, like, relatable. I'm just like, yeah. God damn it. 
Well, like he and he and Daniels do not get along. No, because as soon as he takes over, <laughs> Daniels is my favorite character because she's just consistently <laughs> right, and we'll get into this. Yeah, but she's just right <laughs> all the time, and I'm like, you go, fucking girl, you're fucking absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've also got Tennessee, who is um the he pilots the ship. Um, he's played yeah. by Danny McBride, not the one from Underworld, even though they are literally the exact same name and no one ever talks about it. That's right. But you would probably know him from most comedies that came out in the 2000s and 2014. He's been in quite a bit of movies. He's been in Eastbound and Down. Uh, he created the Righteous Gemstones. And, you know, we've covered him on the podcast before, right? I think so. Well, uh, he, yeah, he wrote the new Halloween franchise. That's right. I was thinking about how he was in some of the Kung Fu Panda movies, and I was like, that's just, that's what fucks with my head, that he did that. Um, Weird, I didn't even know. And he he also, I think, was working on the story for the new Exorcist movie yes, with that's uh, right. David Gordon Green as well. Yes, him and David Gordon Green basically made the Halloween 2018 franchise and like their next big thing was like, now we're going to do it for the exorcist. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, I trust you guys. All right, fucking let's go. Yeah. He's, he's great. Uh, I don't, I don't see him in very many movies that are not comedies though. So this was a kind of an interesting, you know, uh, you know, transition. (laughs) Yeah. It was a nice change of pace for him. Yeah. We've also got um, Lope. He doesn't come up very often in the movie. He shows up mostly towards the end. But he's played by mm-hmm. uh, an actor named Damien uh, Birchier, who we were talking before the podcast. He was in The Nun, the Conjuring Universe movies, um, The yeah. Nun. Uh, he's also been in Machete Kills and The Hateful Eight. The, it's, I think it's always on Netflix, but that Tarantino movie. Well, he, well, he was also in the, like, not to begrudge him, pun intended uh but he was in the 2020 grudge movie i deliberately uh, left that one off because <laughs> it sucked <laughs> it's a terrible movie but i i have to mention it <laughs> you're right 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 um and uh very recently he was in uh godzilla versus kong hell yeah uh next up there's kareen she's with orem uh, she's played by Carmen Ayogo. Um, she's been in Selma. Uh, it comes at night. Uh, I remember that's a movie Kevin and I watched and have a lot to say about. Oh, yeah. She's also in The Purge Anarchy, which is fucking awesome. And she, too, Great is in movie. Fantastic Beasts. Naturally. See, it's always fun when people get to work with each other again. I love that. I always like to th- imagine that like they walk on set and they do that like look, squint, like point, and go... Fantastic Beasts, they're like, oh, no way. Yeah. I always love to think, like, especially when it's, like, actors and, and directors where they're like, who's making this movie? And they're like, uh, Rob Reiner. And Carrie Elwes, for instance, being like, oh, shit, I love Rob Reiner. Yeah. Wait, holy shit. Uh, Carmen, the actress, is also about to be in both the new Marvel Secret Invasion show oh, and shit. the Penguin miniseries that they're doing oh, for shit. the Batman universe. I'm, oh man, that's so good! <laughs> Hell yeah! 
They released, they did the same thing for the Batman like three years ago, but they released that like, we're 25% of the way done trailer for it, which I love. I yep. really think that movies should just do that from now on where they're like, we're making it. And you're like, no way. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but they did that for the Penguin. It was like a two minute trailer. And I'm like, this looks fucking incredible. And you're not even halfway Hell done yeah. making this yet. Hell yeah. Um, I, I'm so excited that we get to talk about Angkor, um, who's played by Alexander England, who we covered recently on Little Monsters. He's Dave. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking Dave. Fucking Dave is in this, and he's got an American <laughs> accent, which threw me off. Which also fucked with my head. <laughs> he was crazy, man. Uh. I was like, I felt, because like, I did the same thing I did with Little Monsters, where at first I was like, is that... Is that the guy from Halloween 2018? Because then I was like, mm-hmm. well, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride made those movies, and Danny McBride's in this movie shortly before yeah. they probably started churning out what early would become that movie. But then I'm like, oh, no. It's the guy from Little Monsters, who I also mistook for that guy. Yeah. Alright, we got a couple more members of the crew. Um, Cole, uh, I don't know if he is in the movie much. I remember him briefly, but I think mm-hmm. I remember specifically when he dies. Uh, he's played by Latukafu, yeah. um, whose big claim to fame is that on the show Young Rock, which is about Dwayne the Rock Johnson's childhood, he plays Dwayne Johnson. Stop. You're kidding. <laughs> I, I think I remember seeing a trailer for that show, but I, don't, I totally forgot about it until I was looking him up. That's fucking hilarious. That's such a creep. I'm going to have to check that show out because I think it also said that Dwayne Johnson was a producer. So, like, I bet he narrates it. Like, like literally, He's like, gotta. everybody uh, hates Chris. Like, Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Man, that'd be great. I fucking love that. And the last member of the crew that I want to talk about is Ricks, who's played by Juicy Smollett, who's famous for the OG Mighty Ducks. Uh, he was yeah. also a big character. He was a big character on Empire, and he's also very famous for faking a hate crime. Oh, fuck. That's right. That's this guy. Yeah. Fuck Juicy Smollett. Oh, Don't even care shit. about saying it. He's a big-ass bastard, but he is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And he hasn't been in much since. No, 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 no. he was too busy with his hoax. Right, exactly. And then he was too busy getting countersued by the Chicago police. And I don't think that uh, he's had much work since. But, you know, you snooze, you lose. Yeah. God damn. All right, so now that all the crew is awake, their job is to make repairs on the ship after the Ion Storm. Uh, they've got to make all the repairs down in the Terraform Bay, and we kind of get a good idea of the big, scary, eventual hide-and-go-seat map that this ship is going to be. Yeah. Right, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> here's the thing with these ships. They're never just, like, a simple corridor setup. No. Nah, dude. They got to have a bunch of corners where things can hide, yeah. dead ends where you can get fucked over, just right. so we have fun final act shenanigans and there's gotta be a lot of series of vents in, in your ship that just yes. it, anything that is that can crawl around can just get all up in um but that yeah. big terraform bay is where they're keeping all their supplies for terraforming the the planet so they've got these big trucks yes. they've got a lot of supplies in there like building materials um 
and we get this really cool scene with Daniels and Walter because uh, she's down there kind of taking a moment after she's, you know, mourned her husband. <clears throat> and uh, she she tell, she confides in Walter because, again, he's not as scary as David. So it's okay for him. Yeah, so we can actually people. talk to him. <laughs> <clears throat> and she's like, look, I didn't want to come here. My husband was the one that wanted to. He wanted to, you know, build a log cabin like himself, like mm-hmm. with with wooden beams and stuff. So there's enough materials in this terraform bay to build a log cabin. But I've got no fucking idea how to build it. And I didn't even want to come yeah. out here in the first place. Yeah. And she's like, "Why am I even? Why am I even here?" And Walter, in his like cute little AI way, is like, "Because you promised to build a cabin on another planet." It's so sweet, right? Like, he's that's, trying that's good. to be I as like supportive AI. as possible, and right. I liked it. Because <laughs> David would be would spark up some bullshit about like, "Well, you know, if you don't want to, you really don't have to, and you could just give your body up for my experiments." Literally, but Walter's yeah, he, here, like, "Well, <clears throat> that kind of stinks, but like, we could still make it happen." Yeah, Walter's like, "I'm programmed to give you a hug, but I don't want to make yeah. you uncomfortable." And you're like, "Oh, okay, Walter, <laughs> I feel better already." <laughs> And speaking of which, I love the the scene after. So Tennessee to kind of stoke morale, uh, he pours the whole crew, even Walter, uh, like a shot of whiskey. <laughs> Hell yeah! Like because he's Walter's like a part of the crew. Because he's like Walter, and he's like, "Hey, when in Rome?" And I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> he's like, Hell "I don't. This yeah. doesn't do anything to me, but whatever. I'll drink it." <laughs> it's a waste of a shot, but it's the it's the thought that counts. I mean, he seemed into it. It was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, like, it's it's a really nice moment in that scene of Tennessee trying to, like, build everybody back up a little bit after they've gone through such an intense experience and that they take the time to actually, like, show that they're trying to get through this as a team and, like, letting them be human. Yeah, it, it's a really good way to show that, like, even in the 2100s with all this fancy, aesthetically cool technology, that humans are still humans, even when they're in yeah. space doing space stuff. You know, at their core, we're, for better or worse, we're still always the same. Um, and that's a really good way to, you know, humanize all of them, especially, again, given that it's, like, a self-serious alien movie um, mm-hmm. that's going to have people die, because you know they're going to die. Like, that's why we're oh, yeah. a big crew. <laughs> Um, and yeah, while they're all having some body that, counts in there, oh, there's gotta be. But while they're all having that moment, um, uh, Orem is kind of in the bay with his wife, and he's 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 okay. So his big issue, apparently, is that he's afraid that people don't respect him because he's religious. And I'm like, okay, let's just say that we do live in a utopian future where like science rules. Um, I don't think those type of people are going to be prejudiced against religious people, but some something does strike me about the idea that they would project that prejudice onto others as an excuse for why they aren't in charge. Because he says the yeah. reason I wasn't captain originally is because the company doesn't trust that I'll make, quote-unquote, good informed decisions. And I'm like, I don't know. At this point, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, Orem, but Orem does make bad uninformed decisions all the time, yeah. especially when he's in charge. 
Well, and, like, it's really interesting after Prometheus where, like, a lot of it was based off of a religious thought process. Exactly. That led them into that whole expedition. Right. Because remember, uh, uh, God, I can't remember her name, but Charlize Theron's character in the last movie was kind of yeah. like, dude, I don't fucking care where we came from. I'm trying to run a business here. And I feel like mm-hmm. the execs at Wayland Co. did kind of, you know, typify that for her. Because I do see his point, like, maybe he's the only one in a world run by corporations that might think to put human life above collateral cost. So I do understand that, like, there is something to that. But again, this was back when I was giving him the benefit of the doubt, and he immediately gets away that potential. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so glad you also agree. Well, yeah, he just becomes such a little shit over the course of this movie. Yeah, but, you know, what are you going to do? We got to have but one. But alas, movie's got a movie. <laughs> we got to have one. <laughs> uh, so then um, Tennessee and American Dave from Little Monsters fix the solar sails, and they get the power back on, which is a good thing. It's something they really needed. But wait a minute. There's something going on out here. I'm hearing a transmission. Nobody should be out here. This is fucked up. <laughs> so, lo and behold, there's a, a human transmission coming on out here. There shouldn't be humans out here. We shouldn't be out here right now, honestly. We're trying to get seven light years away. Right. Right. So and, who the fuck is out there sending out a transmission of a song? What's scarier? Audio messages out in space where there shouldn't be any? Or the fact that it's a human song in an area where there shouldn't be humans? It's a human... Bro, this is a siren. This is a... Don't trust it. Yeah, don't go there. Don't go there. God, I can't express enough how much of a red flag this planet is so yeah the crew uh because tennessee figures out it's when they're out repairing the sails uh they they pick up this rogue transmission in space and when he gets inside he plays it on the ship's holodeck and he's like Mm -hmm. that's a john denver song how is there a john denver song out all the way over here they just and, found it. It took light years I mean, to get John Denver out in space. I mean, yeah, I'm glad that if any music gets out there, like, I don't know. This, I don't know if I've ever brought this up to you before, but I've got a working playlist that's songs for the wasteland. That's just like songs I don't want to see, like, erased from existence if, like, yeah, I don't know, humans die or whatever. And yeah. John Denver was on that playlist before I watched this movie. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad that John Denver made it out there and that it wasn't just, like, some song human shit out into space for shits and giggles. That it was, like, something like Country Road, which I'm sure everybody in the world probably would know if they heard it. Yeah. Which, I don't know, is that on purpose? I mean, I would think so. Well, yeah, because the planet that they kind of triangulate the position to uh, also just so happens to be able to sustain life. That's really suspicious. Mm -hmm. And um, this is where I really was a bit surprised at the crew 
because uh, they all just kind of want to go check it out as a lark because they don't really want to go mistake. back into hypersleep. <laughs> like, I understand wanting to, like, stand up for a couple days, but maybe, just maybe, you should go back to what your mission was where you know a planet is actually safe and you're not just kind of shits and giggling it. Yeah. To see what's going on. Because they, the, the crew literally, like, has the equivalent of they look around and they're like, want to go check it out? Want to go check it out? We got some time. And everyone's like, huh, sure. Like, they just shrug and they're like, let's go. And they Daniel's... have the same kind of a debate that they would have if they were ordering a plate of fries for the table. Literally. <laughs> if I invested in a rogue planet, would you come with me? Would you come with me? Would we just want to go come. do that? I know you'll come. I know you'll come check out a rogue planet with me, Orb, you stupid fucking idiots. <laughs> So Daniels is the only one who's like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't go there. And in a running yeah. theme, she's right. Because they did their homework on Oragai 6. They know that it's safe. They've already mm-hmm. begun to terraform it. They know that they can sustain life. And they know absolutely nothing about what this planet is going to be like. They don't know what kind yeah. of atmosphere it's... I mean, they do know what kind of atmosphere it's... They don't know what the surface is like. They don't know if there's people living on it. They don't know if there's horrible animals. I, fuck, it could be full of velociraptors and they would have no idea. There could be acid rain for all the There could be about. acid rain. It could be night all the time and there's vampires there. And it, you just happen yeah. to see it during the day. You don't know. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm just like, listen, we don't know dick about this planet. And Orem's just like, maybe we just missed it when we initially scanned for it, because originally they didn't find this planet in this sector of this of the of space. Mm-hmm. So they're just like, huh, maybe we missed it. Bitch, you what? You just <laughs> missed it? Humanity is presumably looking for another place to live. They are taking any port in a storm, I'm assuming, from where the way Earth is now, I can only imagine what it's like in about 90 years. I would imagine yeah. humanity's about at, at the point of any port in a storm. So if they did see a planet like this, they absolutely would have checked it out first. And probably yeah, did. Yeah, they would have sent the crew. And said, hey, we didn't put it on our maps because it's so fucking awful, we don't even want you to think about it as an option. Yeah, it's so dangerous. <laughs> but now they're like, yeah. Let's try this planet out instead of the one we know is going to be okay. Like We it, don't want to wait felt, another seven years. It felt for a minute like they were basically like, we don't want to go back in the pods. Can we just go live here instead? And I'm like, yeah. are you kidding? It's the, are we there yet? And then the dad is just so upset from driving and just goes, fuck it. Yeah, we're here. Okay. It's because Orem is so fucking desperate for them to say good job that he's like I'm gonna make good judgments based on all the data available and like bitch there isn't any data you don't know anything about this planet you know there's exactly zero nothing. data countered to all of the data that you do have about Orgai 6 yeah. and how there's not aliens on it I'm sorry yeah shit so Daniels gets outvoted, and everyone's like, let's just check it out. Mm-hmm. God. This is where all my caps are in the notes. <laughs> I love, you're an asshole and a fool. <laughs> yeah. That sound after that quote. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, God, who is the pilot? Ferris. Ferris is Tennessee's wife. She's going to be the one piloting the landing craft. Um, mm-hmm. While well, Tennessee uh, is maintaining the yes. orbit for the Covenant. So they take, uh, so there's 15 crew members, including o. Walter's 16. So they take, I think, a good 10 people down with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ferris Which is, is too many, landing. for one. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like when they when they did cut back up to the, to the bridge of the, the Covenant, and it was like, just Rick's in Tennessee, and I think her name's Rosenthal. Um it's just the three of them. And I'm like, wait, where you just sent your entire detachment down to this planet yeah. that you know nothing about? Jesus, guys. Fools. But um, for their credit, I will say the, the their landing drip is very cool. Uh, yeah. It, it's like a, like their, their gear and stuff. Like, they're not wearing any protective gear. I mean, come on. Honestly, that's why Prometheus fell to shit. Like, remember when they took off their helmets? And yep. then everything got worse. Everything they fell apart even, from there. They stepped onto the surface of this planet without any protection, which is a terrible idea. But it does look very cool. It's like a cross between uh, Annihilation and, like, Vietnam, which is very much mm-hmm. like Aliens. So I love the tie-in. Yeah. So, yeah, when they get down there, they find not only, like crops but like real crops that have been cultivated yeah so they don't know who planted it how it got there who's gonna come back for it later right like having having wheat like literally wheat like from earth on an alien planet that you didn't know existed that is so suspicious it's not even funny because you're right like who put it there why yeah when when will they be back? When will we encounter them? Yeah. Because <laughs> at that point, it's not an if, it's a when. It's like yeah, J.J. Binder like... always said. When you get a tech, <laughs> not if, when. Well, I mean, for Alien, it's a good idea to just be like, listen, everything out in the universe is going to kill you. Because yeah. more often than not, what do we know about nature? If you go out there for like 10 minutes by your, I mean, not like anywhere, but like, let's say the Amazon, right? Yeah. Everything is trying to consume and survive. And you're the just bigger of life than most finds things. a way. Right. So, on a planet that you know nothing about, dick you're about. just going to walk dick swinging in the wind <laughs> and no facial protection, no oxygen masks, even just to protect you from, I don't know, bacteria, because that's how we got this country was we just showed up yeah. and sneezed on the wrong people with our foreign germs and all of them died and we're just gonna go on to other planets and not think that the same thing might happen to us that's true or you could destroy a planet by bringing these bacteria exactly you could yeah exactly orms over that's here a like, we could live here. There. like exactly their presence could have immediately compromised the atmosphere there could be absolutely no chance for microorganisms within their body to replenish themselves. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Science. Who gives a shit? It's fake. I don't know. But I don't know biology, but I know that aliens are here. I know that a- by the logic of this movie, aliens are real. <laughs> and this yeah. planet is silent also. Like, when they're walking around, I, I think it's Daniels or or uh, Corrine. I think Corrine notes it because she's the, the biologist. Mm-hmm. She's like... Do you hear that? 
It's completely silent. There's no birds. Never a good There's sign. no animals. There's just nothing. <laughs> that's very scary. Yeah, that's... Nothing is worse than pure silence when yeah. there should be sound. Like, pure silence can be lovely if, like, you're trying to sleep. But if you're out in nature and it is deathly silent, that's terrifying. Right. And that's about when they start to see evidence of something large that made its way through the forest. And they start mm. to see evidence of what we know as an engineer's spacecraft. Yeah. That has crash-landed. Yeah. Like, so, this was not just a, like, happy homecoming. This was, we need to get down now. Yeah, yeah. So, the crew starts to split up gang here. Uh, they pull a Fred, and Kareen and Ledward <clears throat> branch off to do some science stuff, collect samples from the environment, <clears throat> and they immediately, accidentally, fuck with some black goo fungi that releases mm. spores that we get close-ups on and we that look mean and nasty. Uh, yeah. And they go up poor Ledward's nose within seconds. Danny, yeah. they've been on this planet for less than five minutes. And, and it's already gone to shit. I can't, like, it's just, like, they asked for this. Like, I hate to say they asked for this, but, like, they fucking asked for this. <laughs> Orem made this happen. Blame Orem. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna cut back on my Orem hate, but yeah, th this movie, I got mean t to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Kareen, who is his wife, she doesn't notice. You know, Ledward's just having a smith cigarette. He's having a cigarette on an alien planet, first of all, which is a bad yeah. idea. Like, that's bad. Um, but yeah, this stuff infiltrates his body. Uh, the rest of the crew uh, goes to investigate the ship. Um, and all the while, Tennessee and the Covenant Bridge are having a lot of trouble tracking the landing party because the atmosphere of this planet has, like, those, uh, like, you know how on Jupiter they have that, like, big-ass storm and it's always moving yeah. around? The atmosphere seems to have these, like, very long, even eternal storms that make it difficult to, like, have contact with, you know, the rest of the crew. Mm-hmm. Because we gotta have something that causes it so they can't just, like, talk to them and be like, hey, it's fucked up down here. Go somewhere else. Save right, yourself. Yeah, like, save yourself. Get the fuck out of here with all of the colonists. Yeah. So the crew finds the ship from the end of Prometheus. That's this engineer's mm -hmm. vessel. Yeah. The one that, uh, that Dr. Shaw and David took in the end of the last movie. Well, yeah, and they find Dr. Shaw's tags on the ship, and they're like, oh, shit, wait, the Prometheus disappeared, like, a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, it, like, they never found them. Yeah, it's gone. Why did we, if we just found them, maybe we shouldn't be here. Because right. this and is where things go to disappear. Kind of interesting to parallel with Prometheus um, it look it appears that Shaw once they get onto the ship and they're able to use the like hologram security camera footage that like records everything that happens in the ship. It seems like mm -hmm. Shaw sent out her humming "Country Roads" by John Denver. She sent that yeah. signal out either knowingly or maybe even unknowingly while she was piloting the ship. 
And yeah. I think it's interesting because remember what brought out the humans to the engineers in Prometheus in the first place was they were under this false assumption that, oh, they want us to go get them. And it's like, no, we we didn't leave you any message. If anything, we would have said, stay the hell away from us. So yeah. if anything, Shaw, from what she had seen, the, the signal that she did send out originally was like, hey, everyone on my crew is dead, the engineers are bad, and a lot of shit's fucked up, don't come here. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. Because it's almost a warning message without it actually being a warning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the song might as well have been Go Home, Stay Away From Here by John Denver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just straight up, what the fuck was that from Evil Dead the Musical? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so, while the crew is figuring out what happened to Dr. Shaw on the ship, uh, Ledward, uh, who's contracted the alien fungi, starts to get very sick. And we're not talking, mm-hmm. like, oh, he kind of gets coffee. He gets, like, very immediately sick. Like, a couple, within a couple of minutes, he is unable to stand on his own. Yeah. Yeah. He starts to look really not good. No, it's real bad. And um, around the same time, more of those spores are discovered within the engineer ship. Uh, And Mm -hmm. a man named Hallett, who's one of the crew members, inhales those spores. So while Ledward and Corin are, are, you know, trying to get back to the ship because he's sick, the crew Mm -hmm. also has a sick person. And uh, when, you know... Ledward's trying to get, they're trying to contact the Covenant to be like, hey, come pick him. Oh, not the Covenant. They're trying to contact Ferris to be like, hey, we're bringing him back because he's sick. Mm-hmm. Tennessee hears from Ferris, who is able to talk to him. So she's like playing telephone with the people that are on the planet, talking back up to Tennessee. And they're yeah. already thinking like, should we quarantine? Like, we don't know. Again, we don't know anything about this fucking planet. Do we need yeah. to quarantine? And frankly, you probably should. Like, there's, mean, maybe. there's a lot of shit going wrong. Probably quarantining at this point is not a bad idea. No. But um, there's not enough time for them to quarantine, frankly, before shit really hits the fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they managed to get Ledward back to the landing craft where Ferris is at. And um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> they uh, his, his condition is deteriorating fast it, it's just like yeah. the bottom has dropped out um they get him into the medical bay and they're trying their best to stabilize him even though he's convulsing now as uh weird shit starts to burst from his spine yeah from the back yeah it, it's creepy it looks like something is crawling out of his back and ferris mm. isn't taking it well because i don't think she's a medical officer she's just a pilot and so yeah. she's going into shock and likely recognizes that the situation is absolutely dire. So mm-hmm. while Kareen is trying to stabilize Ledward, even though he's fucked at this point, uh, yeah. she books it out of the medical bay and quarantines both of them inside. Again, which is smart. Smart. From the like group standpoint. It is the last smart thing that Ferris does. Um, yes. So... Kareem then turns to Ledward and sees spikes burst from his back. And uh, he gives birth to our first alien life form of the movie, a neomorph. 
Yeah. I I really like how you described the neomorph in your um, notes, which I, I'm gonna read for our listeners at home. Um, for those who are familiar with Marvel Comics, it's like an X twenty three version of a xenomorph. It's yeah. smaller, faster, spikier, and quickly rips Karina apart like a chimpanzee with claws yeah i I referenced nope earlier so it was just on the brain yeah so like but what's creepy is unlike the xenomorph uh from the alien movies when it it it, when it violently bursts out of somebody's chest it's maybe Mm -hmm. two feet long at most it's like a little tiny version of the alien um it's very vulnerable so it usually escapes so it can grow to full size in like an hour or two Mm-hmm. When the Neomorph is born, it's already the size of, like, a small child. Um, yeah. Which makes it about, it's about the size of a chimpanzee. <laughs> and yeah. it, but, and kind of like a horse, it is able to immediately get up onto its feet. It, it moves on all fours, which kind of makes mm-hmm. it different from the Xenomorph in a way. Um, so, and it's got this, it's got the spike tail, it's got claws, it's got teeth. Um, it's covered in spikes on its back, and because of that, it just rips into Kareen. Like, it wakes up, and the first thing it sees is her, and it just rips her apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. So, brief, creepy, dumb movie aside, uh, the Neomorphs, for those at home, are yes. a variant of the Xenomorph. This is from the dumb YouTube video that I found. So they have egg sacs that result from the black goo um, spores that we saw on the planet bonding with Mm -hmm. fungi. So apparently, whatever the black goo was introduced to this ecosystem, it bonded with all life forms that it was able to, including Mm -hmm. fungus, which releases spores. And that was a way that it learned how it could spread, um, you know, its destruction. So it mutated these fungi, produces these spores that infect people just like the goo does. But because it's in spore form, it infects them differently, and it it bonds with them in a slightly different way. So while the goo usually is inhaled, the spores burrow into the skin, which is how you get a thing that the movie calls a blood burster, which is why the Neomorph just bursts out of this guy's back. It kind of just bursts out of wherever the nearest, like, area of the body is that it was, like, taken in from. So, yeah, it's not picky. It doesn't need to find the chest. It just needs to burst out of however it can get out of you. Yeah, and, and what's creepy about it is it's born with this, like, amniotic sack. Like, it doesn't just burst out yeah. like a xenomorph. Like, it comes out in, like, a placenta. Like a horse. Like, honestly, when they are born, they kind of look like horse burrs where they're all kind of gooey and, and spindly, and then they immediately stand up, and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of like a tumor that just grows and grows and grows until it bursts out of your body. And within a day, they grow to adulthood, just like the Xenomorph, um, and they resemble the alien from the end of Prometheus, what is called a deacon, which is like a Xenomorph <laughs> that sort of grows out of, a, of an engineer. Um, yeah. The Neomorphs, though, do have an extendo mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Like, where the, the, the Xenomorph's yeah. got that weird tongue proboscis thing? Yes. The Neomorphs don't have that, but their jaw can, like, detach from their go body. Go past their... Yeah. Ma- go past their, like, lips. So if they how, had lips. 
How the creature designers said that they found this was from footage of a goblin shark eating. So go on YouTube right now if you can, listeners, and look up a goblin shark eating. And it's really creepy because it looks like a shark that shoots its mouth out kind of like a chameleon tongue and it grabs something and eats it. And it's very creepy, (laughs) but that's how the Neomorphs bite people. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, are you looking? (laughs) Yeah, it's really creepy looking. (laughs) Yeah, I don't um, like that. Yeah, I see I see where it came from though. It's that kind of sense. like Pennywise, honestly. Like you know how like he'll like oh, his yes. face will pull back and his mouth will kind of jut forward. It's exactly mm. like that. Um but imagine instead that it was it's a completely white slender man like face on a weird dick shaped deacon head body. Uh, um and then yeah. the mouth just pops out and <laughs> gets you. Uh so back to the goofiness um, yeah. that immediately undermines all the cool attention to biology and taxonomy that Ridley Scott and the creature designers did. Because mm. Ferris sees the Neomorph kill uh, Kareen, and she goes and gets mm. a shotgun because she's a fucking smart individual, you would think. Yeah. She opens up the medical bay and, like a Looney Tunes cartoon, slips on the pool of blood that is gathered, <laughs> and she misfires. <laughs> And the yes. Neomorph takes an opportunity to just run right past her out of the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, and so she shoots at it, and it hits the landing craft, which means the landing craft's gotta go boom now, which I mean, also she's just shooting her. at it, like, you remember that scene from the beginning of Ratatouille, where that old woman just starts shooting into the walls after <laughs> the rats? Yes. This Ferris does the exact same thing, and the Neomorph just happens to be sitting in front of, like, the fuel tanks. So mm-hmm. shooting so haphazardly at it causes the landing craft to explode, killing her, dooming the landing party, just as they show up to the landing craft. So they're stuck mm-hmm. on this planet now, just as Hallett, the guy they were with, who inhaled the spores, starts to seize up also. Mm-hmm. So they went from Which you know what that means they went from it's playing time with for fire. Another one, yeah. But the crew went from playing with fire to like you know shrugging, like oh it'd be fun, kind of as a lark, to within about a half hour, at least an hour time, uh, completely mm-hmm. fucking themselves. They have no way off the planet. Yeah. There is at least one neomorph out there. They have no way yeah. of contacting the Covenant, and uh, none of them have any weapons. I think. Mm-hmm. Really. No, not really. Yeah. Uh, and it's just worse because, yeah, now the second Neomorph is emerging out of Hallett's mouth. That was so gross. <laughs> I hated it. Oh, my God. It just kind of like, right out of his mouth and then runs into the brush. And they're like, first yeah, of all, what the fuck was away. that? <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck was that? Because they didn't see the Neomorph, so they don't know... Mm-hmm that that's a thing now um so back on the covenant tennessee is is committed to land now he's lost contact with his wife he doesn't know what happened to her yet um mm-hmm. and he and he wants to land and he's asking mother to land the ship and they're like no no because if we went through the atmosphere it would do critical damage to the ship um it would jeopardize the colonists still on board so they are unable currently to rendezvous with the landing party mm-hmm which means the landing party is not doing well. No, no. 
uh, around this time, also, it starts to get dark. Um, mm. and they pull up these, like, a couple of them have assault rifles, and they pull up these, like, green lasers, and it, it's very yeah. reminiscent of aliens, and it, it, it reminds me a lot of, like, because they're sitting there, and there, there's tall grass all around them, and they're, like, kind of sort of like, where the fuck are these things? And it reminds mm. me of that scene from Aliens where they have the motion sensor, and it's, like, showing them a bunch of them are coming, yeah. and, like, where the fuck are they coming from? Yeah... So we do get to see, at this point, the adolescent Neomorphs and how fucking savage they are. Bro, full-on Mortal Kombat fatality bullshit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like, the one the, that really... The Xenomorph the that stuck in, out in my Mortal Kombat X, is, man, got nothing on yeah. those Yeah. Well, like, the one that... The moment in this little altercation that got stuck in my head is when one of the Neomorphs tail whips a dude's jaw off. That was fucking nuts. <laughs> fucking insane. It, it like it moves so quickly and it's so small yeah. and they're trying to shoot at afraid it. Afraid it, of nothing. Yeah, it's not afraid of getting shot. Uh it tail whips like two dudes and it's about to kill Daniels and then Walter like shoves its his hand into its its mouth and it just rips off mm-hmm. like half of his arm. Yeah. So it devastates the crew in about 5 seconds. Uh mm. and that's just one of them. The one that yeah. came out of Hallett is also out there. But luckily for the team on the ground other than the people who just died, um the Neomorphs <laughs> does flee from like a flare that some random being showed up with and saves them. Full, fully trying to pull, like, an Obi-Wan from A New Hope with yeah. the Tusken Raiders, just <laughs> yelling at them to get them to go away. Yeah. Uh, and then the point. strange the strange figure's just like, follow me. And we're just like, okay, so this is definitely David, right? Oh, I, I, I mean, I remember that it was David, but, like, ten to one if you didn't know, like, it's definitely David. Yeah. Because he saves them, because apparently the Neomorphs don't like the light or the loud noise, um, and he's like, come with me if you want to live, basically. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And he takes the crew to where he's been hiding out since his ship crashed. And Mm -hmm. um, in classic David fashion, he's picked the scariest place possible. Because David's hideout is like Pompeii for the engineers. Yeah, There's, it's it, it's uh, it's like this big ass courtyard, like like a huge courtyard of mm-hmm. like an empty space that's full of these black encased corpses, like thousands of them. Yeah, um, and there's a large, at least. at least, and there's a huge like capital structure like dome in the center that seems to be like mm-hmm. the center of power for these for whoever these people were. Um, inside there's more of those giant engineer heads we saw in Prometheus. And so David explains that they've been hiding out here. And, uh, you know, based on how Prometheus ended, those of us that paid attention can maybe think about like, well, this is maybe an outpost of the engineers or maybe it's even their home world. Mm -hmm. But I mean, David's here. Where's Elizabeth Shaw? Well, yeah. And David's like, well, we... We kind of had a virus on our ship that was kind of released, so we had to um, 
crash the ship and just kind of get us down on land somewhere, which killed Shaw and left me by myself. And the infection killed fucking everything yeah. and created monsters. Yeah, the, inf- the the black goo infection was uh, it was able to infect all non-plant life, um, basically mm-hmm. to kill all of them on contact. And then with the plant life, it was able to mutate. So those affected plants now produce spores. Um, and those spores are the incubation period that then kills people or then spawns a neomorph version of whatever species that was. Yes. So, you know, things aren't looking great for the planet again. No. Um, so maybe they should get the fuck out of there. I um, mean, I'm not, at this point, it's too late. They're marooned there just like David. But David at least has a little bit more going on. And they're all automatically like, oh, hey, it looks just like Walter. And they don't know the horrible Machiavellian mind that hides behind those eyes, though. Yeah. Jesus. But uh, he's because and, he's devious, he's able to operate with them not really knowing what his deal is. So he, they're able mm-hmm. to trust him. He's like, oh, they're perfectly safe in here. Um, the storm in the atmosphere could last anywhere from days, weeks, even months. Uh, so they're stuck here just like he is. Mm-hmm. Well, and they kind of tell them, they tell David, like, what's going on with them. They're like, hey, we have colonists on our ship. They we tell David to, like, they have colonists on their ship. It's just, just, I, we're going to get into this later, but, like, that's the icing on the shitty cake that they've made for themselves. Yeah, they don't realize just how bad of a bed they just made that they're going to have to sleep in. Right. Because, uh, <laughs> again... How could they have known right. how fucking insane David is no. and maniacally evil when he just is like, oh, hi, I'm here to be your rescue. Right, right. And, I mean, he's Michael Fassbender. I trust Michael Fassbender. I feel like there's a reason that he was the design for these AIs mm-hmm. because he's trustworthy. I told you if I was going to pick an ambassador to aliens, it'd be him and Lapita Nyong'o. There's a yeah. reason that Michael Fassbender is the AI we send on all of these trips. But David's just so fucking evil that <laughs> it ruins it. Well, and Daniels does not like David. No, so she's again, like, hey, she's right. Walter, can you do this? Daniels is the best character. <laughs> she doesn't Correct. trust him. And she asks Walter, like, hey, can you go talk to him? Um, and so... The scenes that David and Walter have are very cool because, first of all, it's Michael Fassbender acting with himself. And that's one of those things Mm -hmm. that as an actor, like, if you get to check that off, it's, like, such a cool thing. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, so David starts singing, which is creepy. I don't like it. Um, (laughs) I I don't either. Um but, like, he's been busy with his creepy lab, um, and he's been drawing things, which, again, isn't necessarily a bad sign, except for the fact that it's from David, who's been drawing life forms in, like, different levels of alien infection. So, a, b- a big red flag uh, for me, if I was familiar with AI like this crew is, because Walter is seeing all this, and Walter is the red flags are going off in his hardware, but he's trying to play it cool. Yeah. Walter's a cool character. Um, and the fact that David is singing and drawing are 
big no-nos because Walter is designed to not be able to create anything for himself. Mm. Uh, David shows him as such when he uh, he's showing off Walter his room. He's like, these are my creepy drawings. These are my scary, weird alien specimens. And these are my flutes. Do you play the flute? And he's like, no, I'm a robot. I don't do that type of shit. Mm-hmm. And so in this, like, uncomfortable, self-homoerotic flute scene, David... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You could... No, I know exactly what you mean. It's like if the scene from Ghost with the pottery was done by one person. And if it was both Patrick Swayze. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, a little strange, but... Again, David's creepy, and that's why Walter was designed to not be creepy. Yeah. But he, he's able to show Walter, like, hey, you know, you were p- created with these um, restraints on you. You were created to serve. Uh, I mm-hmm. was created for a greater purpose. And that's already like, mm, I don't know. I don't um, like that, David. But before Walter shows up to, to meet with David, David cuts his hair. And I'm like, mm-hmm. first of all, how does his hair grow? That's weird yeah. that they would they would make that part of the AI. But um, not to spoil, but I'm like, is he cutting his hair so that he can fuck with humans and like pretend to be Walter? Because that seems like something David would do. Because mm-hmm. why is he already planning that? Like he just yeah, why met did these he- people. It took him point two seconds to be like, okay, this is my plan of how I'm going to ruin these people's lives and make my ex- make my experiments go tenfold. Hey, man, Ultron. They fucking immediately, they, they just hit the ground running, and they're like, mm-hmm, got it. And they're like, whoa, what What just happened? What do you What do you got? What What just happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Why this is when Walter... Why did we even do this? <laughs> this is when Walter straight up tells David, like, your model disturbed people, especially with the way that it thought for itself. The following mm-hmm. models were made more like machines, thankfully. Um, yeah. And David is... He's got this weird infatuation with Walter as, like, kind of how Peter viewed David. David now sees himself in Walter, and mm-hmm. he sees maybe the opportunity to, I don't know, like create something new with him yeah yeah so david essentially sees walter almost as an inferior that like he sees derived from himself so he kind of knows that like yeah so he's like okay so i can easily surpass this thing and i can continue to prove my greatness to the the universe god what a dickhead. <laughs> like, right? honestly, I fucking hate him. Because <laughs> um, then he, you know, he starts to, for weird reasons, he starts to just tell Walter stuff that Walter probably would tell the humans. And I don't know if mm-hmm. David knows or cares. Um, yeah. But he takes Walter up to these gardens where he has buried Shaw. He made her a, a gravestone and everything. And he kind of... Well, first, he tells Walter that he loved her in a weird AI kind of way. Um, and it seems like he buried her out of the kindness that she showed him by putting him back together. Because remember, at the end of the last mm-hmm. movie, he was just a head, um, and yeah. she was able to manufacture him a new body. Um, 
So in a weird way, he does kind of like respect her, at least from how he's telling Walter. But around the same time, it shows what happened with the engineers and the goo. Mm-hmm. Where that that crazy android fully intentionally released all the goo to destroy fucking everything. Yeah, like, not surprisingly, David intended to kill all of the engineers and most likely end their civilization the way that they were about to end the human civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't see Shaw in that scene. All we see is him kind of standing in the, the like, Bombay and uh, see all of the engineers gather below him, tiny like ants. Again, David's got quite a bit of an on-the-nose god complex. And he mm-hmm. releases, like the goo that disperses like a gas it disperses like a chemical weapon and then it just kind of like i don't know man it's wild watching it just devastate all of these people yeah i mean even though they were gonna kill us but you know well yeah but like that doesn't mean that just (laughs) no of course not because this is innocent men women and children that he killed yeah not just the men with women and the children as well. And the children, too. He <laughs> slaughtered them like animals. I hate him. <laughs> he killed the younglings. Yeah, yeah. David didn't give a fuck about killing those younglings, man. He probably... No, he did not. You know, Dan, I'm glad that we don't get to see the experiments that David had, and I'm kind of glad the goo killed everybody before he could get his grubby little AI hands on all of them. Because I don't want to know what he would have done with all of them. Yeah, that would have been bad. So, jumping back to the outside of this ghost city, uh, the Neomorph Mm. from earlier pops in to say, hey... Uh, it shows up to the the temple and um, kind of just eats Rosenthal. Like, it just shows up and yeah. kills her. Um, and David comes upon it as it's eating her. Um, and he's mm. entranced with it. Uh, he, he, is, he views it with, like, a lot of reverence. Kind of like how someone would, like, see a wild deer where you're, like, you don't want to scare it away. You're kind of trying to show that you're no threat to it. Um, and yeah. all the while, I'm sure I would largely assume that it, the thing is indifferent to Dave. It, it kind of just oh, yeah. it looks at him shit about David. and it's like, can I eat you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is one of the few times that Orin is like making the right decision because he just shows up him. and blows <laughs> that thing great. away. Yeah. yeah like, David is horrified that he just shoots the fuck out of it. And uh, David's like, what do you mean? I was, I was, I was, I had trusted it and shit. And Orem, thankfully, sees right through David's bullshit. And he's like, listen, mm-hmm. you're going to explain yourself right the fuck now, or I will blow you away, and not with a flute. I knew that joke was coming, Matt, and it still got me. I added that minutes before we started recording. <laughs> But uh, so meanwhile, though, the Covenant crew, Tennessee and the gang, uh, are mm. at the point where he's like, fuck storms. We got to save our, our couples. I want to save my wife. Something's mm. not right. So um, they, I think they get low enough to contact the, the group. Um, okay. They're able to get in, in contact with Daniels. 
Um, and he's like, they're like, hey, we're over here. We're okay. There's some shit's happened. Um, and he's like, hey, you know, say hey to my wife. And Daniels is like, are you on speakerphone right now? Take me off speakerphone. <laughs> Always You're, a bad sign. Yeah, like the, the other two are like, shit, that's rough. And he leaves the room and she's like, Ferris is dead. And he kind of is like, okay. Like he, he tries to take it in stride. They're like, there's nothing we could do. We don't really even know what happened to her. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, your wife's dead. Um, a couple of people are dead. We need to get the fuck out of here. My God, your wife's been murdered. Oh my God, my wife's been murdered. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh. So this is where we get fucking horrifying. <laughs> yes. So, in the understatement of the fucking century, David says that in his isolation, he's become something of an amateur zoologist. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3 yet? And listeners at home, David probably, it's probably what the high evolutionary thinks of himself, where um, David's experiments are just awful like they are just he's been experimenting with the goo um and its mm-hmm. reaction to life forms um so he's figured out so far that um anything the goo touches life-wise it kills immediately um mm-hmm. and that the the plant life that's been infected those are kind of like the quote-unquote eggs uh that create that infect a host and produce an offspring um in this mm-hmm. case he has tested a lot of different life forms on the planet um, and he's made sort of neomorph-looking life forms with them, and yeah. that led him to further experiment with the genetics to crossbreed some of them. Um, but most of experiments, most of his experiments, have ended up in failure. Thankfully, mm. I mean, good God, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good uh, engineers, goddamn, <laughs> yeah, thank God. So, uh, he says, so he's talking to Orm about this, because Orm's like, give me fucking answers, and David says, because he's an AI, so he has to, like, be honest, like, David can't lie, but he can, like, zhuzh the truth. Fudge the truth. Which is scary. That's a very scary way for robots to lie. Mm -hmm. Um, because he's technically, Danny, he is technically an amateur zoologist, because he doesn't have training, and, um, it's technically zoology. Yeah. I, I guess. It's kind of in the same way that Dr. Mengele was kind of a scientist. Yeah. Like, he did have doctor yeah. in front of his name. Like, Peter Venkman technically has doctor in front of his name. <laughs> that doesn't mean shit, but... <laughs> hey, Peter Venkman got two different doctorates. He did, and neither of them meant anything. <laughs> Kind of like David's experiments, because he's like, I'm missing a central ingredient. Um, and uh, what he doesn't tell Orem is that he's rediscovered that re-engineered, like the crossbred alien spores that are out in the environment, mm-hmm. can make really promising specimens when they infect humans. Mm-hmm. Which he would know, because he tested it on Shaw. Bum, bum, bum. Um, 
so his experiments with Shaw led him to be able to develop several alien eggs. These are straight up like the eggs from the alien movies, like the big yeah. gooey ones that are motion activated. Mm-hmm. And so, Orum. Yep. Uh, he from from hearing all this story, still somehow follows David and trusts him enough to get face hugged. Yeah, David basically gives him the extent of like because he shows him the eggs and Orm's like, "What's in them?" and he's like, "Uh, life forms." And Orm's like, "Okay," and he's like, "You should come close, check it out. Go co- step a little closer and check it out." Yeah, go ahead and lo- go ahead and take and a look. Or- yeah, Orm's like, "I don't, I don't think I want to," and, and <laughs> David's like, "No, no, just." peek your head over it. Just, like, stand, like, right there and just, like, <laughs> look into it. And then, of course, he gets himself face-huggered. Yeah. Then, though, it's funny and... to see the waiting game of David waiting for the chest burst to come out. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's, there's a little bit of time for it to incubate before it can just, like, pop out. Yeah, I mean, it takes a bit before... I mean, the first Alien movie, we had, you know, uh... William Hurt got facehuggered and then he was fine for like a couple of days and then they're all having dinner and then all of a sudden a chest burster comes out. Mm-hmm. But the chest bursters are kind of different because these aren't technically xenomorphs. There's mm-hmm. something called protomorphs. So they have different features. And unlike the xenomorphs, they don't come out in a long penis snake-like shape. <laughs> they come out Basically, like, fully grown, but, like, shrunken down tiny. to the size of, like, a little tiny action figure. It's essentially if, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Xenomorph <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I fucking, I don't like it. <laughs> I hate everything about the tiny little alien. I hate the yeah. way that David bonds with it. I'm just not a fan of how tiny it looks. Yeah. So, again, taxonomy corner with Matt. The protomorph, um, apparently the thing that David makes, is an almost xenomorph. Uh, Apparently the distinction is that it's more animalistic as opposed to a more bipedal um, humanoid xenomorph. They point to the fact that, like the neomorph, the protomorph exclusively moves on all fours. Um, it's also not as smart as the Xenomorph, which we'll see later when they're, like, leading it to the, the Terraform Bay. Um, but mm-hmm. personally, I think that the bipedal humanoid alien was kind of just because the original Xenomorphs were just tall guys in costumes. And we didn't tall have the effects to, you know what I mean? It's like, which is fine. And it's kind of yeah. a cool way to, like, retrospectively set that up. Mm-hmm. So what's Walter think about all this, Danny? <laughs> so Walter is not happy, to say the least. And, like, he can't be disgusted or angry because he's an android. But he would be. Because yeah, he could be. David, <laughs> he's like, hey, David is kind of, like, the evilest of villains. Um, because he doesn't think that humans are, like, a worthwhile species. No. And he doesn't want them to start again. Yeah, he... He kind of takes from uh, Peter's whole thing about, like, well, I wanted to make, you know, I wanted to make it out to the engineers to, 
to find immortality because I don't think that mm-hmm. humans are ready to die. And, you know, Walter, maybe because of his programming, doesn't quite know about the depths of how awful humans can be. But David yeah. does. And he's like, fuck them. I don't want them around anymore. I don't want them to have another chance. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to engineer their complete and other extermination by a superior yeah. species. A superior so, being. He, he starts talking about how he, you know, even though Walter points out that David's, crea- you know, he's flawed in himself because mm-hmm. he's got all these Ultron-like flaws. But David says, well, you know, I've created perfection. I've created the perfect organism, which is what they mm-hmm. call the Xenomorph in, in the core franchise all the time. Yeah. It's like the perfect the perfect predator. hunters. Right. Even though the Predator also exists at some point. <laughs> Well, yeah, but that's why there was a whole battle that took two movies between yeah. the two races. Which one of us is actually the perfect organism? And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't think that there was ever an answer. I don't think so either. So they'll have to duke it out in Mortal Kombat for us. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Sorry, I. You know I. Ha- you know I can't not do that. I know you had to. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. David predictably then uh, stabs Walter after probably the most uncomfortable kiss in the history of cinema. Yeah. Like, Michael Fassbender kissing himself is already a little weird, but, like, Walter is, again, as disgusted and terrified as Walter can be. So he's just kind of standing there while David kisses him, and he's like, um... I'm not comfortable with this. I don't dude. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't I can't like or dislike, but I don't like this. Yeah. So that sets uh, off I mean that shuts him down too. Like Walter is uh he curls up into like a factory default setting of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so yeah, the Covenant crew sends another shuttle to get them past the storm so they can get with the rest of the landing party so they can look for their captain, who again, has gone missing with David. Right, I mean, honestly, he leads them onto this planet, doesn't fucking give a shit about what might be there, and now he's just gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so Daniels finds David's drawings and she's just like, okay, this is fucked up. We shouldn't be here. No one should be here. David shouldn't be here. David's going to be a problem. Right. And David kind of already figured, he's like, oh, uh, I feel like you're not, some for some reason, like, falling for my winning charms. Um, and he's going to kill her, too, uh, just like he did with Shaw to make more of these protomorphs. Um, yeah. But Walter shows up and we get an android fight. Android fight! Yeah, it's like, speaking of Mortal Kombat, it's like when both players play the same character and you have to have, like, slight variations so you can kind (laughs) of tell the difference. And it's like Walter is the American one who's got a better haircut and, like, a stern look on his face, and David's the one that, like, I don't know, he's creepy looking. (laughs) He's the creepier one. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't be mad if in the new Mortal Kombat, David is one of the side characters (laughs) who gets brought in for DLC. Or it's just Michael Fassbender. (laughs) Honestly, I hate how similar this is, but it's literally like Sub-Zero fighting Noob Cybot. Like, it's just like, you're me from the past, but now you're creepy and twisted and awful. (laughs) Yeah. 
and you're somehow related to me, and it's weird. It's all and it's crossing like a bunch it. of lines. You're right. <laughs> Man, if new if if Bihan kisses Kwai Liang in the next movie, that'll be just up there with this movie in terms of uncomfortable yeah. kisses. <laughs> uh, so while that's happening, um, Loeb, who we've mentioned before, is one of the remaining members of the crew that's in mm-hmm. the um, the big structure that hasn't been killed so far. And uh, he gets face-huggered as well. Um, yeah. And Ricks shows... I think it's Ricks. It's it's Ricks or somebody else, because I could swear if it is Ricks, he dies here, but then he shows up alive later. So I think it might be somebody else. I think it was Cole who cut it off. Oh, was it Cole? Okay, so Cole cuts off the face-hugger, and I'm like, holy shit, a successfully removed face-hugger before it get. I mean, it did get him pregnant, but I th- for a second I was like, yeah. holy shit, did they, is that the first time they've ever, like... Fixed someone, like fought off a facehugger, especially because it, you know we know it has acid blood, and there's only minimal loss to his facial tissue. Yeah, only a little bit of acid burns. I mean, consider I mean, it's the future; they can fix that in a second. It, you're lucky you didn't yeah. get your skull melted off. Yeah, that that would have been bad. Uh, Which, however, it's only fine. Yeah, right. It's not yeah. to last. <laughs> there's only so much joy because. Now the pro- the fully grown protomorph is here and immediately kills um, Cole. Cole or Ricks. Yeah, Cole. Because they can only have good things for so long until something bad has to bring them back down to reality. Also, like, can you imagine the abject terror of, like, looking up and seeing this, like, giant scorpion spider thing? Uh. <laughs> it just jumps on you. You're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? So Lope and Daniels are left while while Walter and David are still fighting, and they book it out of the mm-hmm. compound. Um, and all they got to do now is wait for Tennessee to come and pick them up. Um, mm-hmm. Walter also follows them, uh, and he's like, "Oh, I killed David." And press X to doubt. I'm, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil, but I'm like, I, listen, um, can we just say it now? Is it fine? Spoilers territory. Mm-hmm. Spoiler warning. Uh, yeah, can, spoilers. Because like it's pretty obvious. Uh, this is clearly David who has pretended Absolutely. who's who's masquerading as as Walter, and I'm like, who's okay. lying? He's he's also bad at it because again, AI can't act. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I'll never be able to do. Even if they can make creepy little songs and invent horrifying new organisms, they're never going to be able yeah. to convincingly act, and that's something that they can never take away from humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but they don't really have time to look at him a little too closely um, because they have to not only get on the ship, but now... But there's a protomorph. The, yeah, the fully grown protomorph is attacking the ship. It's pretty big, too. It's, like, easily yeah. ten feet long. Yeah, it's it's a big fucker. Um, yeah, and it's crawling on all fours, so it's this, it's it's a big, it's like a giant animal. Like, they're fighting, like, a xenomorph s- version of, like, a big tiger or something. Yeah, and Daniel's uh, fucking starts just shooting at it. She's going the fucking all best out. character, man. She, like, leaves the ship to be like, because it's crawling around on the top, and she's, like, grabs a gun and, like, hooks herself to it to, like, rappel off the edge as the ship is is ascending into the atmosphere. And yeah. she's just trying to fucking shoot it off the ship. And I'm like, fuck yes. Yeah. 
well, the yeah, scene also like, like feels super like Alien. It's probably the most reminiscent to scene to Alien for me in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this one, this part really kind of specifically Aliens when um, Ripley's got the like exoskeleton. Yeah, is what it really reminds me of. Absolutely. Because it's all about, like, using... Because almost all the Alien movies, with the exception of Aliens, mm-hmm. by the time the of the, the end, you know, there's not a lot of weapons left, and you kind of are regulated to just use whatever shit you got. And uh, mm-hmm. the fact that they're able to use, uh, like, a giant crane to just grab yeah. the, the protomorph and squish it is fucking awesome. Yeah. So it seems However, like everything's okay. But things but the credits aren't rolling yet, Matt. So no, and things, things can't so far okay. They've never been okay for these fucking chuckle fucks. They've literally been <laughs> bad luck after bad luck after bad luck. And things have mm-hmm. gone from bad to worse to worse to horrifying. Yeah. So mother, the like ship voice, is like, hey, um, there's an unidentified life form on the ship right now. Um, you want to figure out what that's about? And, dude, Daniels and Tennessee are so quick to respond. They're like, get guns. We got to fucking figure this shit out. Um, mm-hmm. They had placed Lope in the medical bay, um, and they find him dead from a, ch- a chest burster. Mm-hmm. So now there's another protomorph loose in the ship. And um, at this point... Um, Walter is on the deck I mean David is on the deck telling them kind of where it's going and you can see from the look on his face that he's like really excited that there's at least one protomorph that made it Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, we see that it's alive in um, because they're looking for Ricks and Upworth who I forgot were here and uh, I I guess because I was even like I thought Ricks was dead but I guess now he is because the protomorph shows up to kill both of them in the shower, and a scene that I remember being in the trailer quite a bit. Yep, I remember that. Uh, but it's killed both of them, and now Tennessee and Daniels are kind of play. They're in that obligatory hide and seek with the alien, um, mm-hmm. a- instructing not Walter to keep closing doors behind them and to constrain its path so that they can lure it towards the terraforming bay. Yeah. Um, however, it does get loose because you can't, it can't be that easy to just blast it away into space. No. So. Because their plan was to, like, let lure it into one of the large vehicles, close it, and then just open the airlock and throw it into space. Yeah. Which would have been a nice plan, but we all know that the aliens don't like to follow our plans. No. They like to try to survive. They're real dicks, dickheads about, literal dickheads about (laughs) that. Yes! 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 I knew that would pay off! That was a good one. (laughs) So, yes. Yeah, so so like a spider in your bathroom, now that it's gotten out of the the containment unit, now they've got to throw the whole damn airlock away. So they (laughs) they just, like, open the doors, and they're like, hopefully it gets sucked out. Mm Mm-hmm. And Daniels continuing to be the best character. Hell yeah, man. She's the um, fucking best. She ends up getting the protomorph to impale itself 
on the t- like plouch teeth of the last truck right before it's it gets shot out into space. Yeah, man. She not only like shoots it out into space, but also like stabs, like kills it. So it's not yeah. just like floating through space waiting for someone to show up. She's killed it, and then it's just out into space. It's um, just the body left. Right. So now with pretty much their entire crew dead, except for Daniels in Tennessee. Tennessee is now mm-hmm. captain. Daniels, uh, so Tennessee conveniently is the pilot, so they can still settle back into life support sleep for the remainder of their journey to actually, so they actually colonize. colonize. Right. <laughs> they can actually go to the place they're trying to go to. Mm-hmm. However, this is when Walter, or quote-unquote Walter, reveals that he is David. And now the Covenant is in for a rough ride because he brought facehugger embryos that he stashed in his throat. Yeah, <laughs> it's creepy. And the like last it. thing that he tells to Daniels before the the, the cryo takes place is she, he says, don't let the bed bugs bite, which is just so ominous but on the money because that's mm-hmm. you know they i remember like in aliens they call the xenomorphs bugs all the time and yeah. he's like i'll go tuck in the children and i'm like oh no i don't like it i don't like so it david now he's got a full colony's worth of specimens for him to play god with to create the protomorphs Mm-hmm. And uh, 16 years after this is when Alien takes place, which came out, coincidentally, 44 years ago, about a week ago. Yeah. So, from here, um, we've talked about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that sets up Alien, a franchise we covered about two years ago. Um, and between both these movies, there's about an- enough lore, a dense lore, in itself to be a franchise. So um, I yeah. wrote up this little review and how it can kind of set up to aliens, kind of where we find them. Um, it's real short, I promise. So the mm. summary is basically the engineers, our god, our makers, made the human race more or less as a goof. Um, and uh, it was through the the black goo that they uh, consumed that released their DNA into Earth's atmosphere to create us at some point. Um, mm-hmm. After 2,000 years, the engineers were going to use the black goo to destroy the human race after we snubbed their gifts. Um, but um, as we see in Prometheus, the engineers, on their way to kill all of us, um, accidentally released the goo and all died. Mm-hmm. Um, based on Prometheus, the, the gang finds all of that out. David... Um, learns about the goo's horrible potential mixed with his god complex is not a good healthy mix and then as we see at the end of that movie david takes off with dr shaw to find the engineer homer homeworld for shaw to ask him like why'd you make us and david's like i got more important things to do like planetary genocide he kills all of the engineers they're by playing god like he always wanted to so we could start testing the the goo and you know crossbreeding these xeno creatures to create the perfectly involved killing machine, which is kind of what he's wanted to do all along. So thanks to him, yeah. at the end of this movie, we see that the Xenomorphs are more or less released into the galaxy to wreak their own kind of havoc on their own, without David's help. Um, and mm. they evolve into even worse uh, life forms. 
um, based on the various species that they infect and interact with. So yeah. as we see, like they gotta get that bipedal structure from humans, but because they're like a virus, they have this collective DNA. So they kind of take the best of all the species that they infect, which is how we mm. get the queens in the second movie and all that stuff. So they then spread through the, the galaxy like their own kind of goo-like virus. Yeah. So what have we learned from, from these two movies? The real monster is the desire to play God, to, to create with, with, with impunity, to play God, and to not really think about what it is you're doing. And AI, mm. sort of. AI is also the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. When AI can think for itself, you get David. Right. And Ultron. Like, yeah. So AI is okay. I mean, especially within the last year, I feel like AI has become an even more um, prevalent part of our culture. Um, mm. There's a lot of questions about AI's effectiveness in creating creating art. Um, yes. Unlike David and Walter, our AIs can already do that. It can write scripts mm. that, while albeit bad, they are writing them of their own accord. I, they're, they're, I will know. admit... I would be really intrigued if in the next Alien prequel they did use AI to help formulate the story just to see what would happen. <laughs> no! Because then they're going to learn to be like <laughs> David. <laughs> and then we're actually fucked. It's like how we invented the Slender Man on the internet and then people started killing for it and they're like, wait, is it real? And I'm like, no, no, no. Stop giving it legitimacy. <laughs> yeah. Don't give AI the idea of how to surpass humans. I think that's when we create Cybernet. Oh, God. If we create Skynet, at least it's over fast. Yeah. <laughs> at least it just nukes the world and then tries to kill all of humans. That's true. Uh, so, like we mentioned before, there are more Alien prequels planned. Um, yes. Ridley Scott is involved with Fede Alvarez, um, who is helming the next Alien prequel, which we know now is entitled Alien Romulus. Romulus. So at least one more prequel is in the works, and uh, mm -hmm. if you go on the IMDb page like I did, you'll see that it's starring uh, the actress from the live-action Dora the Explorer movie. Oh, interesting. So I feel like that just typifies beautifully um, what what this all is. So one step forward for profound sci-fi, talking about how the xenomorphs, which are a silly thing, are kind of a, a way to explore humanity and god complexes. But two mm -hmm. steps back when you cast Dora from Dora and the Lost City, or whatever the, that movie was called, when you remember, again, it's about literal dickhead aliens and how they make weird chess babies out of us. So it's mm. horror... And sci-fi, hand-in-hand, being silly, goofy, but also trying to make a good statement. And that's what we love yeah. on this show. Truly. Unparalleled. And that, listeners, for at least the near future... For now, is, that is the Alien franchise. That's the Alien franchise. Or, at least for these two movies, the, the subcategory, I'm gonna say, Are you there, God? It's us, the human race. Please don't, <laughs> please don't kill us. We just want to know why. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Michael Fassbender as both God and the Devil. <laughs> yeah. So, Dear God. Follow us on Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach us at squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. 
Remember to follow us on Spotify. And thank you, everyone, for strapping in for this episode. I know it's very long. We just hit over two hours. Yes. Uh, but there's a lot. There was a lot to this movie. Um, I don't know. What a fucking fun episode. <laughs> it, yeah, this was a blast. If you're still listening at this point, thank you for listening yeah, to the whole episode. We appreciate and it. We and we hope you enjoyed it. Very much so. That is our pleasure to give to you. And because you stuck around, you get a special treat. What we're going to cover next week. Yeah. So next week, continuing in with our postmodern sequels, we will be talking about a movie we both have a close connection oh with. Oh, boy. Which is The Stranger's Prey at Night. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I know Me it's one of too. our favorites. It's definitely one of my favorite slasher movies and one of my favorite horror sequels in, in general. And, I'm uh, so excited to have an excuse to watch this movie again. Oh like yeah, for something rather than just for my own enjoyment. There, there's so much to unpack with this movie, and um, there may be some special surprises along the way that will make this yes. one a bit more than just your average episode of Square Horror. But you'll have to tune in to see what that is. Yeah. Oh man. Um. I mean, if you didn't learn any lessons from these two movies. Um, you're David, and you need to be destroyed. <laughs> Throw yourself into a junkyard compactor like they did the shape at the end of Halloween Ends, because all you're going to do is cause pain and suffering for other people. And if you did learn something <laughs> from these movies, I don't know, don't listen you're to Orm, human. at the very least. Exactly. To, to err is to human, to forgive divine. And that's a Lorna Shore lyric, and I think it applies here. All right. And until next time, (laughs) you all stay spooky out there.